everyone. Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You are about to hear a spoiler-filled discussion about the themes, the characters, and what all of this means. I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I am wired in and ready to talk about The Social Network. <laughs> nice. Good reference. <laughs> um, so a lot of podcasts talk about like, hey, what you been up to, whatever else. I want to jump right into it because I think there's so much to talk about with this episode, The Social Network. Um, this is one that's been on my list forever. I think, how do you feel about this movie? First of all, like, how do you? Oh, I think it's a great movie. I, okay. So I love Aaron Sorkin probably more than I should. Um, I think he's like, he is, he is the, the writer. I wish that I was so much of his style and the way that he thinks about writing is very akin to why I, I love it as well. So um, the, you know, the movie that he wrote that won him an Oscar is very near and dear to my heart just because of the writing of it all. And I'll just watch scenes from this movie just to listen to the dialogue. I love Aaron Sorkin. I love David Fincher. We talked about it in Zodiac episode, one of my yep. favorite movies. Um, and then Trent Reznor does the score here. Yep. Who Trent Reznor and Atticus, Atticus Ross. Yeah, and Atticus Ross. And so, and the score is also incredible. This is an alt, all-time, like, dream team all-star collaboration totally is this our first sorkin movie it is our first sorkin movie because sorkin doesn't do a ton of movies he kind of does now but he he's more known for television and he's stopped doing television because um he can't take as long with it because you have to be on a schedule for every episode and he can't take like as long to get it where he wants so uh, I think after he finished The Newsroom, which is one of my favorite shows of all time it's a great show uh he said that he was going to stop doing tv altogether and now he just does movies well, we're going to do a lot of Sorkin movies because A Few Good Men, I Adore, Moneyball mm -hmm. is one of the best oh, movies I, ever made about sports and parenting and definitely. life. Definitely. I love Moneyball. Failure. Moneyball, um, he was like the third writer on. So uh, several other people did it. And then he kind of came in and like cleaned it up. Um, and then I'm trying to think what other Sorkin movies. I mean, there's Molly's Game. There's Molly's Game, uh, Trial of, of the Chicago Seven. He, he does a lot of great stuff. So Sorkin Fincher, they're friends of the podcast. We're going to talk about this. But one thing Sorkin does a lot, actually, is he writes about real life people. Billy Bean, Mark Zuckerberg, Molly, whatever her whatever her name is, <laughs> the, the, uh, the poker princess. Yeah, she's a real character. Uh, Chicago 7, that's a real trial. Like he really likes. Oh, Steve Jobs, I believe yep. he wrote that script. And he, so, he did. Um, yeah, that's right. So he writes about all these real characters, but there's this line between fact and fiction of like in any biopic there is, but I think particularly in Sorkin there is. And I think in this movie, there is a lot more fiction than there is fact. Yeah. But at the same time, this is the movie that like, when you talk about Mark Zuckerberg, who he is, public perception of who this guy is, there is no p more powerful of document than the social network. And so people think like nobody goes and actually reads the art. I don't want to say nobody. That's too much. Many people do not read sure. all the articles, the books, yeah. this that sort of stuff of like what actually happened to him. And so I just want to start off like, is this a problem or is that OK? Is that just kind of rolled into the based on a true story? And that's fine. So I feel like my answer on this now in 2023 is very, very different than if you'd asked me this question in 2010 when this movie came out. Because when it first came out, that was like, 
followed pretty quickly was that like Facebook didn't like the movie and that Mark Zuckerberg was saying most of it was like incorrect and painted him badly. And in my brain, I was like, well, of course, you're going to say that because this movie does not paint you very well. So like any anyone who has anything that comes out is going to say that. Right. So I was I was kind of even in the idea of it being like fictionalized. I think I was giving more credit to like, but there's probably a lot of truth in it. And so it's still worth taking, you know, looking into. But I think when you look into the amount of like, um, the amount of rope that the fiction is given in this movie versus the amount of rope that, you know, actual facts have, the fiction is so much more emotionally compelling that I think in almost every character in this movie sort of does a disservice to who they actually are and um, is like almost like Oscar winning slander against actual people, which is I actually think pretty problematic. Like, that's not great. Now, I'm not sitting here defending Mark Zuckerberg because in the year 2023, there's a lot of problems with Facebook um, that he can't seem to defend. Um, So, you know. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, I think it's really problematic, actually, looking back at it with how good this movie is and how much it sucks you into this premise. The fact that the premise is actually false. I like a good deposition lawyer want to litigate both sides of the case on this. (laughs) And so I want to start off with the it's really problematic sort of side of things. Yeah. And I'm very similar in the path of you of like. When it came out, I was like, no, there's artistic license. You got to tell the story, that sort of thing. Totally. And then, like, just with the idea of, like, truth and what is truth and news and fake news and all this sort of stuff. And Facebook has been a part of all that, right? Like, Facebook has been a part of, like, spreading these sort of stories. And so I just imagine, like, if someone made a (laughs) script about my life and it was like, oh... Rob Stennett started this podcast and then he and Andrew had this massive falling out. And at one episode, Andrew just screamed at him and slammed down his laptop shut. And I'm watching that happen on the big screen. And I'm like, that never happened ever. Right. Nothing like that ever happened. I would feel like, where is the justice? Like I'd feel violated by that. Right. And then the filmmaker would just be like, oh, that's artistic license. And I'd be like, I don't care if I'm not a nice guy. I don't care if I made too much money. Just making up whatever you want for the sake of it is not okay. And right. I, I do see that side of the story. And I feel like when it comes to when we talk about artistic license with someone's life, I feel like sometimes for the sake of a movie, you have or a story, right? You're going to try to paint someone's life, which, you know, this movie is about, what, 18 months probably of time, right? And you're going to tell 18 months in two hours flat, right? You've got to combine some moments into singular scenes, right? A, A movie is a conglomeration of a bunch of different scenes. And so... Um, yeah, these ideas may have taken place and transpired along the way, but you've got to smash maybe four of them into one conversation. And so I think there is sometimes you have to create a false event in order to relay all the information you need to relay to tell the theme or to paint the right picture. But I think one of the things that this movie is doing is that in order to tell its story, it's really misleading about its main characters in order to tell a compelling story. It's not making up fake moments in order to paint them largely realistically. I think as I was watching it this time around, I was looking at the Sean Parker character that Justin Timberlake plays, which by the way, I miss like old Justin Timberlake in movies. Like when he first broke out as an actor, like classic Timberlake 
so good. And then when we tried to turn him into a leading man, it sort of went downhill. But like that original stuff he was in back in like the late aughts, like 2010, like this time frame. I love Timberlake. <laughs> he was the best host on Saturday Night Live. Totally. And um, this part right here, like I think it's his best performance ever. He's great. And he's perfect for it. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know if we'll go back to Timberlake. And so I think Napster has sort of been lost in time of like what it did and what it meant. But you're old enough to, to remember Napster, right? Yeah. Like let's it, talk, oh, yeah. It, I mean, we don't have to talk much about it other than like it's one of the original disruptors of industry. Right. It's, it literally did change music forever. Spotify, right. Pandora, even iPods, all that sort of stuff which, doesn't exist. Which Sean Parker same way actually had a Napster. hand in Spotify. It was like a Swedish company or it was something in Europe and he had a hand in bringing it to America and getting it plugged into Facebook. Like Sean Parker oh, is that actually, true? yeah, is actually a part of the, you know, he, he did a, a similar thing with Spotify that he did with Facebook where he saw this thing and jumped onto it and like helped them down the road. But I mean, Napster was the original disruptor Yep. Cool, edgy, going to war with Metallica, you know, all this sort of stuff. And so, and that soul of this Silicon Valley tech disruption that was happening in 2003 and has continued happening over the last 20 years. But like Timberlake was the force that represented that so well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that element of his character, which is central to his character and to what he does in the movie is largely accurate. And even if they're taking liberty with certain things like his speech at the at the um, restaurant or whatever, like to me that that feels fair. But the other, they spend, I would say, 50% of his character is spent on this weird undercurrent about his like obsession with underage girls, yes. which is not true at all. <laughs> like the the at the end of the movie, he gets um, arrested for cocaine possession and his like one of the interns from Facebook is like there. Right. Uh, and that actually happened. But it was at a party in like North Carolina and his assistant who he was dating at the time was there with him and she was not 21. But there's this underlying current from the scene with Dakota Johnson where she's like, wait, you're not 15. He's like, what? You're not 15, are you? And then like. When Eduardo shows up, he's like, how old are these girls, Sean? And Sean's like, it's not nice to ask. Like, there's this weird undercurrent as though Sean Parker is into, like, under 18-year-olds. Like, this weird statutory predatory thing. When in reality, the only thing that's ever happened like that was that he was partying with someone who wasn't 21. Which is a totally different crime. Yes. And so it's, like, to me, that's a level of, like, very specific, almost slandering of a person um, that has that is unnecessary and like deeply problematic. And I think some of that is done to Zuckerberg as well. And it's like this is really, really fictionalized about actual people. Yeah, I think that and a lot of Parker has to answer that movie everywhere. Like, like right. Right. Like, I'm sure that comes from a conversation. I'm sure he like I would love to have him on this episode talking <laughs> about this movie. And I can't imagine the things he'd say. He'd probably be like, why are you covering this? Why are you bringing this to light? Totally. Can I being the devil's advocate for why it's okay now? Like, can I talk on the other side of it? <laughs> yeah, and switch. New Rob persona. So one narrative device that's become so common, it was in Painkiller, it was in Oppenheimer, and it's in this movie that happens very early on, which I did not remember, is the deposition is introduced almost right away. Yeah. There's that iconic opening scene, we'll get to that later, but pretty quickly on, 
we're in the deposition. Yeah. And we're not only in a deposition, we're jumping back and forth between two of them. I know. And it was very clear to me, oh, we're getting people's sides of the story. And that's the device that Sorkin's using. And he's like, you don't know who to trust here. So we're hearing the perception of Mark Zuckerberg from the Winklevoss twins. So the Winklevoss twins are telling us who Mark Zuckerberg is. Eduardo is telling us who Mark Zuckerberg is. These are the characters who are presenting Mark Zuckerberg. And so I think you have to look at it through that lens of like, we're actually seeing this guy through this deposition. And it's all these different people who are going to what actually happened. And it's very much like what did happen here. And so that framing device is in the story. And I think that framing device lends it to a lot more artistic license and leeway. So here's my argument against that, because I love what you're saying in the sense of multiple untrustworthy narrators, right? Which is like a, the uh, untrustworthy, what is it? The, yeah, the untrustworthy, yeah, yeah, narrator. untrustworthy it's, narrator. Yeah, it's like a trope in like novels and, 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 and such where like you don't know if what you're being told is actually correct. Um, I think that holds up in this idea of a deposition where you're hearing multiple people's opinions. The problem with this is, is that it's a linear story. So while the Winklevosses may be technically telling a version of events, that's the only version of that event we hear. And so while Zuckerberg can say that Erica Albright's testimony about the bar is false, it's the only version of that scene we see. So for us, it becomes the truth. And if you look at a movie, it, which is a somewhat questionable movie, it's not the best, but Ridley Scott's um, The Last Duel with uh, Ben Affleck and... yes. Um, Right. Like that is a movie that replays the same events three different times. And by the last time you go, okay, this is probably the closest version of the uh, events, but you basically get to watch each scene. It's the most extreme version of this argument, but you get to watch each scene in from three different perspectives and you get to say, oh, okay, maybe I'm not seeing the full side of, of the truth here. With this, you don't get that. You only get one side of any specific moment. And so it doesn't. I think lean into what you're saying of like, should I trust everyone? I end up just trusting the narrative because I only get one of them, even if it is made up of multiple people's opinions. Yeah. And I guess my counter argument to that is the social network is a much, much superior movie to the last (laughs) duel. And it's because exactly that it's because it tells a real story. And so Sorkin's just tipping his cap. He's just saying, Hey, if you're smart enough, pay attention that you're hearing different voices. I'm going to let you see that. And then that's it. And then you have to decide like he puts the weight of that. Like last duel kind of holds our hand. And it's really interesting when it deals with like, I mean, it's a, I mean, trigger warning if I'm going to say this word, but it's a rape case essentially that like, and so I think in a sexual assault case and that sort of thing, like those sides of the truth is very much like at play. Um, But ultimately in a litigation case, you're also getting like, okay, who started it? Whose idea was this? The truth is we'll never know. You know, Zuckerberg knows, the Winklevoss twins know. Like, we don't know what the actual truth is. Yeah. And my other big argument for why it's okay is because it is telling the best story about what it means to create a social network. And he's telling truth of the capital T at the expense of Mark Zuckerberg at its expense of Sean Parker and that sort of stuff. So when you say um, truth of the capital T, define what you're talking about there, because we've just said that he's clearly saying things that are untrue about these people that are verifiably untrue about them. For instance, so, like Mark Zuckerberg had a girlfriend this entire period of his life. And the story is presented as him being like lonely and wanting attention. So like that's his entire motivation 
for the movie is verifiably untrue. So I think what I mean now I'm like putting words in Sorkin's mouth. Sure. Well, but from interviews that I've read and that sort of thing, what he would say is like, I want to tell the ethos of what this story is that I gathered from it as a storyteller. Like I'm the one writing a script. It yeah. is my name on it. And I'm spinning a yarn of like taking all these sort of facts of all these sort of people. And I'm telling a story of like what I think it is. And I think why I say truth of the capital T is because I'm saying the big philosophical human truth yeah. of what's going on here. This is the best movie I've ever seen about what a social network means. And it has very little much of like how it works and liking and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. there's so many big ideas of like the truth of the plague that is social networking and how much <laughs> it has changed our world for the worse. Honestly, this movie right. is deeply concerned with that in a way that could never come across if they told a f- true documentary story and that sort of stuff. Yeah, Sean Parker true. is like a John Milton character about, okay, this is the young reckless force that's bringing in all the sins, all whatever else. We're just going to have fun at any costs. Eduardo's the tied up button up business person. Zuckerberg's the, like, they're they're definitely like you know tropes or they're like um yeah. you know themes that are walking through it and i think that's what zuckerberg the drama or sorry that's what sorkin the dramatist is going for here yeah they they certainly are more uh caricatures is the wrong word but they maybe they present as archetypes right um but i think sorkin is such a good writer that they don't feel like archetypes they feel like real people like the three main characters in this movie, uh, Sean Parker, Zuckerberg, and Eduardo, they feel so fleshed out and like real people, and they're yeah. so empathetic as as characters, specifically, I think, Eduardo, um, but also Zuckerberg, that like I think it's watching the movie, I think it's really hard not to then just copy and paste that onto the real people. Because it's so com- emotionally compelling. And this is this is telling a story about social networking and the idea of creating a basically fake, cool thing in order to draw people in, right? And in, in a way that is um, true about that, but it's doing it through the human experience of these people who are building it, not really the users of the platform. You don't really experience any of the users other than being like, oh yeah, I love it. I was on it the other day, right? Like you don't, you don't see that. All you see is these really, there's, you know, maybe a good handful, four, five, six characters that we're really in touch with, but they, we're following them as people. And so like I, I i don't know like it's it's yeah, it, it is dicey you know it's kind of like a breaking bad episode where we're seeing them make the meth but we're seeing very few people use the meth you know right. so we're seeing the meth that's happening in the lab it's being cooked up but we're not seeing the end users you know like go through the shakes and all that sort of stuff right like but the does. the thing that you're saying about the capital t truth about what s- social media does to people is present in these characters relationships as they're building it Right. Which I think is so, so fascinating. The end result is present in this story about its creation. And so what we're saying is that that isn't actually what was happening in real life at that time. But it's telling a truth about basically the eventual fallout for the rest of humanity and putting it on a fictionalized version of the creators, which is really complicated and interesting. And I feel like 
something that most people aren't going to make the jump to be like, yeah, I get that. And so more or less, you know, people are going to walk away being like, I think Mark Zuckerberg is Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Also, their names are kind of similar. So that doesn't help anybody. (laughs) It doesn't. And, you know, Zuckerberg is such a robot, you know, and so and Jesse (laughs) Eisenberg is like very much like that. And so. Right. (laughs) I wrote down a few like because this big T truth, I wanted to like um, unpack that a little bit. So I just wrote down notes as I was watching it. Yeah. A few big ideas. One, you have to keep this social, you know, network cool as long as possible. Yeah. Like they spent so much time and effort and energy about whether to monetize it, when to monetize it, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's what this gets this really right of like they're talking about Parker and Eisenberg or sorry, Parker and Zuckerberg. I just did it. (laughs) Ah, see, (laughs) you know, so Mark Zuckerberg and Sean Parker are talking about. It's like a party. It's like fashion. Like you have to keep it cool as long as possible. And they use the phrase like, we don't even know what this is yet. Yeah. And I think when like new social media is happening, you know, that is paramount to it. And it's important that this movie is not called Facebook. It's just called social network. You know, like Facebook is in the dinosaur age now, as far as we're concerned, like we're four or five generations removed from it. But these ideas of like the, the um, thing that's going to last the longest is like, What's cool? What's dangerous? What doesn't feel safe in corporate yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that whole um, sort of Silicon Valley thing, which you ever seen the show Silicon Valley? I have. Yeah. It's (laughs) uh, very different from this movie. Uh, Hilarious. But, you know, spends like six seasons uh, sort of uh, pushing the same thing of like, how do nerdy people create something that is cool and people want to use? Um, but I mean, that is any like product you're making for the market. That is the, the first, the first question is how do you keep people using it? And how do you make something that people w- want to use it when people feel like they are being monetized, right? Or being sold to, um, the, the yeah, the whole idea of ads, right? Like ads aren't cool. You don't want to use the thing that's not cool. So as far as keeping it cool, like another thing that really stuck out to me as a truth is keeping making it addictive. Like they were very mindful of like, okay, are people checking it all the time? And even like the last scene of the movie, um, I thought was so fascinating. And I love where Zuckerberg's literally getting high on his own supply. He's literally like refreshing and refreshing and refreshing, checking like what um, Albright is doing, what his ex-girlfriend's doing. And, but that like, he's addicted to his own product. I thought was really, really interesting. And there were little conversations throughout of like, okay, they're saying Facebook me. They're checking in on it. They're checking it in the morning. Like, how do we make them want to go more and more to it? I thought yeah. that was so fascinating. Yeah. And part of this that I think is really interesting is this movie came out in 2010. So much of what we hear them saying in the movie is like so understood now. But back in 2010, like Facebook was one still cool. Yep. Right. Like Instagram had just barely come out i don't even know it wasn't really a thing yet had bought it yet it it was like barely out youtube had only been out for a couple years um tiktok was unheard of snapchat hadn't happened right like we're we're back at the so this idea of like addiction to dopamine and how social media sites put you in a dopamine loop and all that kind of stuff none of that was known correct um when when this movie came out um, so there's things now that we see as these uns- like insidious underlayers that are part of the dialogue. 
um, that weren't like public knowledge um, that we sort of all understood as a culture uh, back with, with this when this movie came out, which I found really interesting watching it 13 years later of like, you know, w- yeah. what, what we know as users now about how poisonous this thing is. And that's where I keep getting back to Big T Truth, which is like the story that Sorkin and Fincher created is one where it's like, okay, finding kids and getting them addicted is like part of what we are going to do. Yeah. And that's part of what we're looking for. And how do you do it? Okay, well, if it's not cool in your campus, you make it cool in another campus so they like it. And like they're always thinking about like, how are you onboarding people? How are you getting more people into it? And like, we got to add more people and we got to make them use it more. And that is our mission. Like that is the party that we are throwing. Right. And that really jumped out as profound to me. So this is, this is going to bring me, I'm going to jump the gun here and I'm going to talk about my most meaningful scene of the movie because it okay. is this point. I think the most meaningful scene of the movie is the first scene for the first sequence following the bar scene, which is when he's making face mash and they're cutting back and forth between what he's doing on the computer and this party at the Phoenix Club, which may or may not actually be real, right? Sorkin in interviews has talked about this thing. Like, this could be a party that's actually taking place at the Phoenix Club, or it could be Mark's imagination. Because it's it seems like this wild, over-the-top thing, right. which could be true, right? Um, but the, the movie doesn't really say, right? But it's this juxtaposition of the party that Mark wants to be at. The yes. feeling of cool, the um, like it really is this <laughs> toxic masculine, like I am the center of attention. I am so important that I am at the center of the coolest thing, which is what is fueling Mark for so much of this movie. It also seems to be fueling Sean Parker, the Winklevosses to some degree, right? Is like, how do I distinguish myself and how am I awesome? And what is the party that exemplifies that and that scene of him making this thing out of like impotent rage in order to try and create his own version of this elaborate uh like um self-aggrandizing party that is happening over at, at the phoenix club and then ends up crashing all of harvard's network by creating the thing that was so fun it's it's that first dopamine hit for him of i yep. did it i created the ultimate party in my in my little cyber zone that I have control over. And I think that call it first dopamine hit of I made the thing that was cool. I made the party is the is the thing he's chasing the entire movie as a character. Everything is driven by by that. And you and I think the ultimate kind of tragedy in it is that they actually have that party again at the end of the movie. It's the party that Sean Sean Parker throws after Eduardo gets gets fired. It's very similar to the Phoenix Club party, except it's all the nerds now. But it's the same kind of young, beautiful women taking their clothes off, doing drugs. um, And Zuckerberg isn't at that party either, which is like kind of the big not the big tragedy. But like it is this book ending, I think, that I hadn't seen before of that first party and the real second party that Facebook gets. So I think that first setting the scene as we are making Facebook is trying to recreate this social party was such a great framing device for the entire rest of the movie. Yeah. And I think what fuels that scene is the breakup. And it's not just the breakup, but 
she essentially said like there's the great line of like she's like which is the easiest one to get into and he's like why would you ask that and he's like he's like well the easiest one to get into is the one that i'm most likely to get into and then she's like well that's the one anyone's most likely to get into and there's that great just back and forth to it right um but he's gonna prove like okay i can not only get into any party i can be the party like i'm worth loving i'm worth being at the center of attention it's sort of like I'm going to prove them wrong. Like that's what is at the heart and soul of like what he did there. And so I agree, like that comes out of it, but out of this like moment of like, I'm going to prove something or I'm going to do something. It's like face mash. And what he's doing is he's like, I'm, I, it's literally like the first data mining, right? Like I'm going to take all these pictures. I'm going to take all these things without permission. I'm going to make them the thing. And the thing that we all know about social media now is like, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg's like, I'm just going to make that happen where I'm going to use all these people and I'm going to turn them into a product. Yeah. And that's, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it that way of where he's, where he's hacking all of the, um, the different houses, um, basically catalogs, which they called yep. Facebooks apparently on, on Harvard at, at, at that point in, in time, by the way, that whole portion of the script where he's blogging, is word for word his blog that he actually did write that night as he was doing that that part is real yes <laughs> the what he what he uh is is talking about or everything that he writes in that blog some of it being horrendous um that actually all is true because i, I saw an interview with with sorkin where he says like some of that stuff i don't even know what it means <laughs> like i didn't write that i just i just pulled it because i don't you know i'm i'm not smart enough at computer terminology to understand any of that well and sorkin knew like okay this guy needs a core motivation and there's something that drove this man to do this and again that's a big t truth to me which is like who knows what mark zuckerberg's motivation is but there's something that continues to drive him since this movie has come out he's changed his name of his whole company to meta he's like okay we're gonna start the metaverse we're gonna do this other thing like he's been motivated to do like so many weird things, yeah. but there's this like singular laser focus to him that I think is profoundly true that Sorkin and Fincher nail. And even if the facts aren't true, like yeah. the essence of who he is so much better than if a documentary would have been commissioned that followed him for five years. And yeah, I think that's I, the, that's the tension in this movie. I think it, I think it captures again, the truth about why we use social media I question whether or not it captures the truth about Zuckerberg's motivations. Because what this movie is positing is that he felt lonely. And if he had a girlfriend this whole time, a lot of this motivation is wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying it captures the truth about his motivations. I'm saying it captures the truth about something is driving him to build something bigger and bigger and keeping to keep being at the center of attention. And I don't yeah. think it's, hey, the world's better when we connect because of all this other stuff that he's baking into it. There's something much more nefarious into it. Yeah. And so that's why I think this movie gets it right so much. I do think the idea of like the party, like I like the Phoenix club, right? Like I am at the, I am the owner of the most exclusive. I'm the owner of the thing that everyone wants. I want to be that important. That does feel to be driving some of this, the idea of the metaverse of like, this is where we're all going to like work and play and live. And I basically, I'm going to create a new world for us all to use is like, that's some 
god level shit <laughs> you know yeah. like that's yeah. reminds me a little like when i hear him interviewed now the actual mark zuckerberg i'm like have you read ready player one and just think that you should make the oasis is that like your goal here uh you know shout out ready no. player one another kind of weird problematic book about uh <laughs> dreams and fantasy in in the digital world yeah it's a great book bad movie but that that's another episode um (laughs) i think that um yeah man well my most meaningful scene let me jump into that is okay it's just the eduardo learning the moment where he's been squeezed out of the company and that's probably obvious but like man Talk about a scene like when I think about this movie, it's the, scene that is the that first made, scene that comes to mind. It's the scene that, that, that made Oscar Andrew scene. Garfield a star. Like yes. that is the scene that made him a star. He's amazing in it. It 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 wins everything. And they do so many things right. He he has that conversation with the lawyer, and then you see Mark Zuckerberg's point of view, and the windows close or the doors closed, and so you just see them talking, and you even see his back, and so it's just. Andrew Garfield's doing some amazing back acting where it's literally (laughs) just his back and you feel the like life go out of him. And then he keeps going and he jumps in and he gives the monologue of like, I'm sorry, my Prada was at the cleaner that way. And I wasn't wearing my FU flip flops and just the whole like savage takedown of them all. Yeah. um, It's just so heartbreaking. And I think that's at the core of like what I think Sorkin in the movie is trying to say. And it's even the poster, which is like, you don't make 500 million friends without making a few enemies. And it was like, hey, this guy isolated everyone, the people who loved him most, to get on top. And again, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But like, for sure, he did get squeezed out of the company. We know that's true. Eduardo did, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and he had his own problems. And so, again, that's where it goes back to like, okay, this is Eduardo's version of the story. It's written from a right. book that's very sympathetic to Eduardo. But regardless, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't talk about anything that we know is objectively true about him, about some issues that he had with squandering certain things and actually not being a good face for, for Facebook, somewhat in the same way that Sean Parker was a problematic liability. What I know for sure is that Zuckerberg is at the center of what Facebook is and what it means. And I think that's so much of like modern American companies as well. Tech companies were... There is a Mark Zuckerberg. There is a Elon Musk. There is a Steve Jobs. There's some yeah. sort of like central mythical figure that embodies what, I mean, how many people work for Facebook? Like what's the market share now? They're trying to get to a billion in the movie. It's probably 300 billion now. Like, I mean, astronomical. Yeah. You know, yeah. What it no, is. I mean, what, whatever they say at the end of the movie, right before the end where he's like on Facebook and he's like, I'm just checking in on like the war in Bosnia. And uh, Rashida Jones's character says, "Like, oh, they don't have roads, but they have Facebook." It's which, crazy. Which is like, you know, like the the reach of the reach of Twitter. It's it's you know, we we talk about like right now. One of the big things in the in, in the news is basically the implosion of Twitter since Elon Musk took it over, and how it's the the, the company is basically crumbling. Which is funny to us in America but is actually hugely problematic to other like developing countries that use Twitter as their like primary source of like communication and like news. Um, You know, like it's, it's a funny meme to us that Elon Musk bought a company for $44 billion and decided to just like throw in the garbage disposal. But it's, 
it actually has wild implications, which again, this movie kind of touches on at the very end in like a throwaway line. It seems very smart about the capital T, what you're saying about what social media or social networking really is coming to mean in the world. Yeah, this this one powerful mythical force that is behind it all and controls it all and shapes the world, the way the world thinks and the way the world is. It's just crazy how prophetic this movie is. And what's really interesting is I feel like it's also in conversation. What do most people think the best movie ever made is like academic scholars and that sort of stuff? Do you know what like the answer is to this? It's it's normally Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. And this movie is deeply in conversation with Citizen Kane, which is like that is William Randolph Hearst. That is the, you know, famous newsman who like goes and changes the newspaper business. And it goes through his whole like life history and how that forms the world, but also his personal backstory and the motivations there. What's really interesting is like um, it is a fictional character in Citizen Kane. Yes. That's pointing to a real person. Yeah. And so it actually is like, hey, I'm going to make someone up, but we all know who I'm really talking about here. And even in Citizen Kane, the fact that they're making someone up, um, it's still shit like that movie was almost not uh, released because the real Hearst was like, no, we're not going to do it. I'm going to shut this down. Wow. But yeah, I, I think that's so, so fascinating there because of like, yeah, what, what you just said is like they said, we're, we're going to make an allegory about a specific person, but we're going to code it with other things that basically tells the audience to some degree, this is a myth to some degree. This isn't, this is not a biopic, right? Um, uh, this is a, a story about, you know, a, a myth ish or a mythical person. I do think it's, I want to dive into that idea of what you were saying about the, like the creator, right? The, the one central person at the center of all of our like big, big companies, right? You've got, uh, Howard, what's the guy that be, uh, who's at Schultz, Howard Schultz, who's like, became like, you know, the face of face of Starbucks and, you know, Steve jobs and now kind of Tim cook. And we, we have these, like, I mean, Bill Gates is in this movie, you know, Bill Gates. Like the, there's, <laughs> well, well, yeah, joke it's, about a, it's Bill Gates. It's a, it's a Bill Gates impersonator, but yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but what do you think about that idea of like companies, um, that have like, the creator myth in their company that is a part of the the brand right that that is it's a part of the appeal almost of of their company like tesla is as much about elon musk as it is about a renewable energy car i think it's the power of story i think our brain can't comprehend of like oh there's actually a hr department and there's a marketing department and there's a manufacturing department and all that sort of stuff it's like I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that means, but I can deal with like the single man. You mm-hmm. know, it's the same. We're Americans, right? And we don't have a king, but we do have a president. And we, we have three branches of government. We have executive and judicial and legislative, and they do all these different things. But we know who the main guy is. And, you know, yeah, hopefully someday main lady who she is as well. Um, but we know who that president is, what they stand for and what was going on. And I think as human beings... That's the way that we process stories. Yeah. And I don't think there's, you know, truth, but I think it's, you know, there's, there is something really powerful about that one person who's sitting in the center wearing a crown. So I, I think that's true. I think it's, it's a way for us to, it's a way for us to basically create stories or 
of businesses or companies or entities, right? Complex entities. I also think it's a way for those companies to control their own brand, their own storyline yeah. is by creating their own main character, right? Um, because we like protagonists, we like heroes. It's something we're archetypally drawn to as people, right? So we tell certain stories. The thing that I think is so odd about this movie, right, is that like this central hero myth about Mark Zuckerberg is one not told by him or his company and is substantially false <laughs> right so like what what we know like what you you said like what what i know about elon musk largely comes from news sources and it's cobbled together from pr people and whatever but it's mostly well, his from his own tweets you know and, he's and his, his, his own tweets right but it's it's mostly from a a narrative that has happened over the last decade that is in the real world. Almost everything I know about Mark Zuckerberg prior to a couple Senate hearings post the 2020 election, uh, or the 2016 election, um, is from this movie that is, has, was, you know, not him at all, which I think is so interesting that the, basically the creator myth about this person was, you know, came from a whole bunch of other people, which is weird. You know, I mean, his company, so I just looked it up, is worth $761 billion yeah, now. I, I'm not saying I feel bad for the man. <laughs> no, but but here's what I'm saying. I'm like, he could do everything he wanted to reshape that myth. You know, he could hire, he could write a book, he could hire all that sort of stuff. But like, sure. I think he ultimately knows anything he can do is just going to be met with suspect and it's going to be propaganda. And I think that's ultimately like why we need dramatists is because yeah. that's to me the meaning of this movie, which is like, okay, what the actual facts are is not nearly as important of like what this, what was actually created and what actually it means. Like, that's why, I mean, this is Fincher and Sorkin. These are guys who are interested in like, you know, murders and they're interested in you know presidents and they're interested in like the deepest darkest things of human and it's like why are they like when this movie came out it's like why are they making a movie about facebook like that's just a popcorny thing where you like hey i like your status and that's like that's what facebook was when this movie came out it's right. like this is not worthy of our greatest storytellers talking about and yeah. i think what's so powerful is they're like no there is something much more here that we have to deal with like what has been unleashed and what it means, we're going to share about that. And I think that's why this movie is so powerful. And that's why it's good that it's not propaganda. It's good that, like, okay, maybe some of the facts are wrong, or maybe there, some of them are suspect, but there's something really, really that we have to look at what's been unleashed in the whole world. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think I'm wrestling with it, too, because there's so many elements of this that, like, the name of the movie is not it's not the Mark Zuckerberg story. The name of the movie is The Social Network. Right. So from the title, it's purportedly saying, like, we're going to talk about social networking and the creation of Facebook and its effects and what it is. Right. Like from the title down. But the plot of the movie itself is a very human story about largely three people and their characters. So you get swept up in these what you feel to be real people. So who's your most meaningful character? Um, my most meaning. So I think the character that I empathize the most with, which is the character you're supposed to empathize the most with is Eduardo. Um, and, um, I, I think he, he's, 
which we, we talked about a little bit already, but he's this interesting archetype that I think is a person I re relate to, which is the character who's playing it safe first. He wants to play by the rules and he he is looking for the the right way to do things, not the disruptive way to do things. So I know in my own life, people like Sean Parker, like the disruptors who are like, we're going to just break everything and it's going to be awesome. Those people terrify me and I want them out of the room. <laughs> They yeah. make me so nervous. Uh, and I know ultimately when those people get it right, they're the ones that end up changing the world. Um, but this idea of like there is a thing in me that's like the way we're doing it right now is the way we're doing it because it's worked most of the time for a long enough time that it's the way everyone does it. So let's try to do that thing really well, which is kind of Eduardo's like motivation here. And in so many of the scenes, even in the beginning when they like make face mash, right? Like, and it gets really big. His initial response is like, should we shut this thing down so we don't get in trouble? Like he's tentative. And I think I empathize with that a lot too, of like playing it safe in order to ultimately be successful later. And so I think just like as a person, I connected to that even even beyond the fact that he is the most likable character. I think his sort of traits, we have John Bowen on the, on the podcast quite a bit, and he is the shoot for the moon disruptor. Let's change everything and see what happens. And when he and I are together, that's always the thing that makes me nervous. So I think Eduardo to me was this really realistic, almost version of myself in this uh, situation that I enjoyed watching him and then ultimately felt really bad for what happened to this character again not really a real person <laughs> there is this amazing you know moment where he talks about fashion and he's like this thing is like fashion and then eduardo says yeah but they still sell pants you know and like that's he makes such rational things of like right we're not creating a party we're not creating fashion we're not we're creating a business like that's ultimately what this is right and like he understands something that it seems like zuckerberg doesn't but ultimately, Zuckerberg understands something much, much more, which is like, no, I really am like here to change the world. And that's what it's going to be. This is not just a cute little website. Yeah. And the thing that like w watching it on this take through is because, you know, when you watch things multiple times, you can pick up on different things is the parasitic nature of the Sean Parkers and the Zuckerbergs. Right. Like Sean is couch surfing the entire time. Yeah. Right. Like he is. He is ultimately really smart about certain things and is pushing for things that are correct. Like his speech about the, you know, Victoria's Secret guy and how the water under the Golden Gate Bridge is freezing, right? Like he it's is great speech, great speech. He is really honed in on certain truths about entrepreneurship that are really true. But at the same time, he like is couch surfing and is like living off of other people's. And he's not starting his own ideas. Mostly he is picking up and kind of leeching off of other people's. Right. And that is what Zuckerberg is doing too to Eduardo from a financial standpoint. Ed Eduardo puts every single dollar into the company prior to Peter Thiel's investment. Yep. Right? So he puts in like 19 grand of his own money and Mark is not interested in making money, right? And he has no empathy towards this idea of the guy who's funding this isn't even getting reimbursed and I have no plan on how to reimburse him because I just want to make it cool. That's really leachy behavior that ultimately makes the company better, but is bad for this human being who is propping it up with his own finances. Well, you know? And it is in some ways the world works and in other ways it's like, no, the investor is the most powerful. Like we're both filmmakers. And if there's one thing we know 
it's the golden rule, which is those with the gold make the rules, you know, and that's the true and like, you know, tech startups and whatever else. It's like the investor is king. And so like everything Eduardo is fighting for is not unreasonable. It's like, no, let's find a way. Like we need more cash flow. That's what grows a business that like, that's the fuel that will make this thing go. Right. And so again, that's why I think this is such a metaphor because there, there is the like, okay, we've got to have this thing be mon- monetized. And then there's Sean Parker, which is like, we've just got, got to have it be cool at all costs. And then there's, you know, Zuckerberg, who's like, it's got to work. And he's kind of like, it's almost like the end super ego. If you're like Freudian, it's yeah. like, <laughs> the angel and the devil. It's like Eduardo is the angel on one shoulder. Parker is the devil on the other shoulder. And Zuckerberg is kind of like listening to both, but neither. Well, here's here's I'll, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I think Zuckerberg is far more closer to Sean, Sean Parker than anyone else in the film. And when Sean comes along, Sean says everything that Zuckerberg has heard himself saying in a vacuum. Right. So when they have that like first dinner meeting, Ed, Eduardo's like settle a dispute for us. Right. Like. Should we monetize Facebook or should we would we not? And everything that Sean Parker says, well, it's this. Well, you don't know what it is yet. It's like you're throwing a party. Mark is on the other side being like, exactly. That's right. That's what I've been saying. Yep. So I feel like what what Parker does is it, he gives Zuckerberg the validation to do what he thinks is right. All the way up until the very end of the movie when that party scene happens and we realize that Sean is a liability and and it's like the first time that Zuckerberg has that check in himself of like letting my my own desires run rampant ultimately is dangerous and we don't ever get to see what the comeuppance there is like the real life version of that party incident Sean Parker did ultimately get pushed out of the company he still owns 7% but is no longer the president um, but like, we, we don't really see that, but you just kind of see it on Mark's face as he's looking at the card that says, I'm CEO, bitch is, is like, I am in charge. I have to deal with all of this. And so, maybe I've been running in the wrong direction is kind of what I got from that. I want to answer this by saying my most meaningful character is Mark Zuckerberg. Well, of course. Um, and here's why, here's what jumped out to me watching this movie is like, he is always the smartest guy in the room. He is always like there are so many scenes we are talking about how like damaging this movie is to Zuckerberg, but it's also incredibly flattering, which is like you're seeing a movie of like everyone wants a piece of him and it's not fair. You know, like the like the Winklevoss twins are coming at him with a completely like fraudulent, ridiculous case. And there's like it really is like this old money Harvard way of like, oh, we deserve something from you. But you're clearly rooting for Zuckerberg versus the Winklevoss twins. You're like the Winklevoss twins don't deserve anything from him. They're garbage. They're just trying to find the nerdy kid to like do their thing that they think is cool. And you know, the best line in the movie is like, if you would have invented Facebook, <laughs> I messed it up. Like, uh, you, you would have invented Facebook. Yeah. Know, yeah. If, what if, if, what does he say? He says like, if you're, if your clients were the inventors of Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. Exactly. Thank yeah. you for landing that for me. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, that that's the point of like, Hey, you can say we invented Facebook, but breaking news, dude, you did not invent Facebook. Yeah. And Zuckerberg has a million of those lines in the movie. There's the scene where he like gets the note in class and it's upsetting. 
And so he storms out and then the professor's like, oh, I guess you didn't know the answer. And then Zuckerberg tells exactly what the answer is. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, there's <laughs> scene after scene after scene. There's a scene where the guy says, do I have your complete attention? And he's like, no. And he's like, here's what has my attention. And he gives a whole list of other things. And he's yeah. like, I'm more important than every single one of you. And it's mean what he's saying. But we're like, he's right. This dude is so much more powerful than whatever else. When the Harvard board comes after him. He levels the board. There's so many scenes where it's like, this guy is kind of a superhero of like what he's doing. And it's yeah. not heroic, but it is a superpower. Do you know what I mean? Do you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it does get a little bit to the, the core capital T truth in a way of how we see a lot of these tech moguls, right? I think you're right. In this movie, Mark is often presented as the smartest person in the room. But in a lot of those m moments, he reminds me of uh, Andrew from Whiplash, where he's also the cruelest person in the room. Right. Um, of like there was there was a a more collegial way to answer the question of do I have your complete attention than, you know, you have part of my attention, the minimal amount. I think the full speech is he, he says, like, the rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook where um, people are doing things that no one in this room and especially your clients are not creatively or intellectually capable of. Right. All of that is true. But that is the absolute most dickish possible way to say that. And that but I make love you him for saying it like that. I love him for <laughs> like, I think it makes him so likable in a way of like. He, because it's just like everyone wants a piece of him, right? Like he's the rock star now. Sure. Everyone wants a piece. And unlike the founder, this is a really interesting movie to contrast okay. against. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we're doing this movie now, like three weeks after the founder, when we did Barbie last week and really should be doing Oppenheimer this week. We're just keeping everyone on their toes. <laughs> we will do Oppenheimer soon, but we promise. Um, I think what's so interesting, like the founder where it's like, what did Roy Kroc really do? Like, what did he really offer? Like, he is not the founder of McDonald's. He is sure. kind of like... He really is like the Sean Parker. He's like, ooh, this right. is a great idea. Let me leech onto it and take it big time. Right, I'm going to take this. It is clear that, like, Zuckerberg is the most brilliant, and he has created something. And when you create something great, everyone thinks they know. Yeah. You and I are, like, going on and on for an hour in a podcast episode about who he is, what he thinks, what he really is. It's true. There's a hundred million other people who are doing that, who are talking about him, who knows what's going on. And so no wonder he's so short. No wonder he's so snarky. And I think Sorkin is showing that like everyone's going after a piece of him and he is fighting back. Yeah, I think I think that is true in the with with the Winklevi, right? Because you're 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 not supposed to like them at all, right? They are they are that old old money snarky or not snarky just like they think that they deserve the world and so it's kind of fun to see them not get it right i think his retorts to them feels like the little guy beating sort of wall street right um that that feels good but i think there is a lot of other examples in the movie specifically when it comes to eduardo or um uh erica albright where you go like mark's wrong here like the way he is handling this, while he might be correct, he is like ethically wrong in how he's treating people. Well, Erica Albright, first of all, we haven't talked enough about that opening scene. Yeah, we definitely we, should. 
which to me is one of the all-time incredible opening scenes. And it's just dialogue. It's two kids in a bar having a conversation and just the back and forth. Uh, it's, it's the ultimate in like Sorkin dialogue. Like it's, it's so, it's everything he does well just put on display. I mean, I could, I could, I've picked apart his writing style so much on my own time. I could like write a whole thesis paper on that opening scene, but it's brilliant. It's so, it just pulls you right into the movie and the themes. And what makes it amazing is like, he'll always answer a question two things back ago of what he said, yeah, or he'll ab- say something two absolutely. steps ahead of her. And so it's like this like sparring contest where they're like having four conversations at yep. once. Like it, it is a masterclass and he is so despicable in that scene. He's so unlikable and it kind of sets him. So I think my point was, I think of that scene and I'm like, Oh, that's who he is for the whole movie. And so when I watch that movie and when I think about it, I think this guy is totally unlikable. But now when I'm watching it again in this watch through, I'm like, oh, there's lots of scenes where he is the guy who I'm rooting for in the scene. Sure. When the Harvard board is going after him, I'm like, I'm rooting for Zuckerberg. When the lawyer in the deposition is going after him, I'm like, I'm rooting for Zuckerberg. When the Winklevoss, tw- you know, like all yeah. these scenes, I'm like, I'm actually pulling for him in this scene and he's right and he's okay to be pushing back so hard. So my point is like not he's good or bad, but there is a complexity that Sorkin is giving us. Um, and Fincher as well. I think I have to keep saying his name that these two masterclass creators are giving us that makes this movie so great and worth wrestling through. And since you just mentioned Fincher and Sorkin sort of in the same sentence, I think it's so interesting that they are paired together on this on this movie because they're so different in their approach to storytelling. The two of them Um Aaron Sorkin is a longtime writer, showrunner, but known for writing. And this was actually going to be the first movie that he ever directed when he wrote this. It was basically on the table for him to direct it as as well. But for some reason, the studio or the producers were like, hey, we just need to like shop this around to like some other director in order to like check some box. And so they're like, we're going to s- send it to Fincher. And when he says no, then Sorkin can direct it. And they sent it to Fincher. And like three hours later, he was like, yeah, this is amazing. I'm going to direct it. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so then Sorkin doesn't go on to direct anything until Molly's Game, like five or six years later, um, which is great. And he's a pretty decent director. He's a better writer than he is a a director, but he's very confident. Yeah, he's good. Because he's a a good storyteller first and foremost. But Sorkin loves to say things multiple times. Part of his way of writing is he hears dialogue like music. And so he will write things in repetition in order to give you this cool sort of like cadence in which you um, are basically listening to the dialogue in the way that you would listen, listen to music. He'll do that by having a character say something and then have someone say what and the character will repeat themselves. And then that phrase will come back like two sentences later. Um, Whereas Fincher is like so minimalist, right? If he doesn't have to say a word, he's not going to say a word. (laughs) He's just going to show it. He's a very show don't tell director, right? Not a lot of. um, And and so to see Fincher direct a scene that is mostly people in rooms talking at each other with a lot more words than are necessary to communicate the point is such, I think, an interesting marriage of these two creators in where you, you get something that is. That is like a true, truly a masterpiece. I think it's a, it's an amazing movie. I think it's because you have these two guys almost tempering one another's tendencies to make something really, really great. And actually, I would say like um, exemplifying each other's tendency because what makes it 
you have this scene where they're fighting each other, going at it. And then what do you have next? The long walk home. Yeah. It's just Zuckerberg and that score. And he's walking through Harvard. And it's like that conversation is searing into his soul. Mm-hmm. And it's just burnt. And, and you, you feel it on that whole walk home of the way he's there. And again, that leads into face mash and all that sort of stuff. But it isn't a smash cut straight from like, yeah. okay, that conversation. And then boom, he's at the computer writing the blog post. That's where Fincher's magic comes in because he's like, no, this, he's going to be thinking about this and brooding about it over and over again. And yeah. that's who this guy is, is he's doing it. And again, this is what I know about being human is there's stuff that's happened to me 15, 20 years ago that still burned in me that I'm like trying to prove an old college professor or an ex-girlfriend or an old oh boss God, yeah. wrong, you know, yep. like, and that's what it means to be human. And that's what Fincher gets so deeply in this. Totally. And that's why I'm like, okay, this is power. And, and so, I, so that Zuckerberg that scene, has those people for sure. So, so the, that scene where he's the, like scene two, basically the opening credits where he's running home from the bar and running across, across Harvard, that is in the script, but it's actually in the, in the like, um, action notes. Um, Sorkin included a song there and it's some like early two thousands, like punk song, like think like, you know, semi-sonics or something. It's like very similar to the, the little what, what, whatever the musical tone that opens the movie is when they're at the, at the bar. And so it would have been this kind of like punk, almost impotent rage, like white guy running through campus after his girlfriend broke up with him. And now he's going to hack the computer, right? That's what Sorkin wrote. And Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and Fincher were like, no, let's make this haunting piano minimalist theme that just sears that moment, right? Like, again, it's it's that, like, how do we take the best version of this that is emotionally... It's it's a bunch of artists. I think that's, like, the true beauty of you can see this collaboration. If you read the script and watch the movie and see where they differ and where they pull out the best of each other. There's just, like, the difference of what that scene could have been of opening, like, punk, na 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 here's the credits, to that just soulful, lonely you know, searing. Yeah, the, if Sorkin directs this movie, we're probably not having this conversation. Probably not. Fincher's the one who elevates it. But again, both of them, but Fincher to me is maybe the best director of the last, you know, 20 years of like what he's done in the two thousands, just so many incredible things. And the nineties as well. I mean, fight club, I think we have to do as an episode seven would be a great episode. Um, but man, yeah. Hit, hit, again, Fincher, taking this sort of material and creating that is so powerful. Um, all right. Is there anything we missed? Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Probably we could go another hour on this movie. Easy. I think there's, there's so much, so much in it. Um, I do think there is something I want to touch on a, a, a little bit. We didn't talk about least meaningful scene, which is fine. It's m- maybe the lamest category we have, but if I were to answer that question, I was going to say the scene where um, Eduardo's girlfriend like is crazy and lights his stuff on fire, even though it's a funny scene. I do think that that is an example of this movie seems to have like it doesn't paint women particularly like well, with the exception of Erica, like Erica's two scenes are very empowering and she is the hero in the scene and she has a backbone and stands up for herself and you want to stand up and applaud her both times. Yeah. But like every other woman in this movie is like definitely objectified and an object. They are the like 
we're going to make Facebook and put the relationship status on it because men who use Facebook ultimately want to get laid, right? Like it is, it is this sort of like top toxic masculinity anti-barbie movie view of like these tech nerds making a thing which i think is very true and i think is worth is i don't think it's necessarily out of pocket that that's the way that that's the perspective that this movie has but i i do feel like throughout and that extra scene there of eduardo's girlfriend being like just a problem and just like sexy and crazy doesn't do them any favors and sort of, I think how women are largely portrayed in this m movie. So I, I, I think, I think it is interesting to look at the sort of like white man incel tech nerd thing in this movie that seems to be brewing behind a lot of these guys. And as we've seen that in like real life over the past couple of years of, um, you know, people on these message boards and social medias and, and what that turns into, there seemed to be this kind of weird, dangerous toxic masculinity brewing behind a lot of these characters yeah i mean when erica sees him at the bar the second time she says again i wish i had all these clothes in front of me but essentially she says like that's what angry people do they hide behind the keyboard and share their thoughts yeah you know and like that's part of what was already in the internet then but has only exponentially grown in the right. last you know 13 years which is like yeah we know that <laughs> The internet is where people go and just share these like sort of toxic things. I do think um, to your point about men and women, Rashida Jones mm -hmm. is one other character in the movie. She gets kind of the last word. She gets the final monologue. She kind of gets the meaning of the movie in some ways, which is she's sharing with him like, like, I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think you're very nice, you know, and like, um, yeah. I, th yeah. I think she says it harsher than that. But well, essentially, she, she, like... she echoes Erica from the beginning when er Erica in the beginning says, like, I want you to know that women aren't going to like you, not because you're a nerd, but because you're an asshole. Yeah. And at the end, Rashida Jones says, I don't think you're an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. And that's the last <laughs> that's line right. of the movie. He, he spends the next like two minutes refreshing the page and we get the like, this is what happened to these people like text on the screen. But it, that, that is the last spoken word of the movie. Yeah, and, and and again, in the Aaron Sorkin, Mark Zuckerberg is a character who is out to prove something with every single thing that he does. Yeah. Like, and again, what do, you, what do you think his motivation is? If you could like condense it down, like what is his emotional need in this movie? I think his motivation is to prove that he belongs, to prove that like, he shouldn't have to be auditioning for final club. He shouldn't have to be auditioning to get past the bicycle room with the Winklevoss twins. Yeah. He is the smartest guy in the room and he should be the one invited in the inner circle. Yeah. Uh, not, you know, like, like that's, that's what he wants to be. And that's who he thinks he deserves to be And that. Like he's going to prove everyone else wrong and become that. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. I think I would distill that by saying like, he wants to have value. Right. Which I think is ultimately a good thing. And then we see that swing to like toxic behavior and then behavior we can really empathize with. Right. Of like, you know, I want I want to be known and I want to be valued. And then I, you know, the I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best and kick people out. And I'm CEO, bitch. Right. Where you're like, oh, OK. Right. And so I think it's this this search search for value that then in the end is the refreshing to see if the girl that he really did like a whole lot is going to friend him back. That like sinking. I, I need to be liked, you know, which again is social media. I really want people to like this and show me that I have value. Please. Seventy four people like this post to prove that I have worth. Right. Um, 
it, it is is that capital T true? So it's in, it's interesting maybe that Zuck, Sorkin's Zuckerberg. Here's my hot take for the thing. Here's my meaning of the movie. Sorkin's okay. Zuckerberg embodies the need we all bring to social media, which is to have value to everyone else in the world. That's really good, dude. I think that's right. And again, I'm CEO bitch really was a business card that he made. And so right. there is something there, right? Like, the, like this is not all totally made up. This is right. not like there is some fiction, but there is some fact here. And I think that's my meaning of the movie, which is like, it's incredible that um, this was a history lesson when the movie came out of 2003 from the lens point of 2010. And now 13 years later, it's so fascinating to look at what's happened. And I think because of the power of social media, I am a father who is, has four daughters who are all dealing with this. And because of this plight that was kind of put on the world, and I feel like I'm being a little melodramatic, but I really don't think so because no. I'm like, I've, I've seen the anxiety. I've seen the depression in my own, my own personal life and mm -hmm. other people's lives. And I'm so worried about it for my kids. So this thing that was created that seemed like, oh, it's a fun way to connect on the internet is now the most powerful social force in the room. And even, you know, Parker's line at the very end, his drug-fueled line, he's like, we used to live on farms, we used to hang out here, but now the internet is where everything's going to happen. And it was like kind of grandiose and weird, but it is true of like my kids and, and even you and I, we're going to take this episode and put it on. Literally, this episode is going to go on Facebook. It is going to right. go on Instagram. We're going it to tell going people to that this episode exists by posting on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Correct. And so, like, we are using the drug in which we are criticizing. It is mm -hmm. part of our life. And I just think this movie wrestles with a very complex story in a very real way. And there's no perfect way to do it. There's no right way to make the Facebook movie. There's no right way to tell this story. And it's worth airing on the side of like, okay, our best writer, our best director telling a story that like the truth is much more important than the facts. And I think that is the meaning of the movie. I, I The truth is more important than the facts. Love that. Love that. All right. It's complicated, right? Totally. <laughs> totally complicated. All right. Well, if you're, I'm, I'm going to pull back real quick to a category we haven't done in 20 episodes. But if you like movies that are about the truth being more important than the facts, then you should check out the movie Big Fish, because that's what that movie is all about. And that's what I'll say today. I was sure you're going to recommend The Social Dilemma. Like, I was sure that's what you were going to recommend. And that's maybe the movie that I'd recommend is Social Dilemma, which is a movie about um, how insidious that um, some of this stuff was by Facebook, by different uh, people. And so, again, there's a lot more damning evidence, a lot more of a smoking gun of like how this thing was created and what it was. And so Social Dilemma is worth checking out. And we might cover um, both of those movies on this podcast. We yeah, shall I, see. I think we very much could. Well, uh, thanks for jumping in, Andrew. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We'll have some more episodes. Oppenheimer is coming soon. We promise. We'll, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.